Good evening. This evening, we are in the book of Proverbs again. We are in chapter 18. And as we go through this precious book in God's word, we, we learn so much about wisdom. And as we've seen and as we've learned along the way, we all need God's wisdom. I happen to really like Proverbs because they're, they're, they're you, know, you know how sometimes you need a meal and then sometimes you need a snack? Well, the nice thing about it, if you take the whole chapter, it's a meal, right? But if you just take a, a couple verses, it's a snack. And there's sometimes during the day where you need a snack. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we just need to open up the book of Proverbs and just get a little wisdom. Sometimes just a couple of Proverbs will do it for us, you know, just to get that wisdom. But this evening, we are going to have a meal. We're going to dive into chapters 18 and 19. And as we do, we're going to ask the Lord to help us. Chapter 18 deals with being careful in your dealings with others. I'm sorry, chapter 18, uh, being careful in your dealing with others. Uh, Chapter 19, we need to be careful to make good choices. So we're going to be talking about those things. With that, Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and these Proverbs are so helpful to us. Give us wisdom beyond our years, beyond our experience. Give us the wisdom from above, godly wisdom, your wisdom, that we might make good decisions in our lives, that we might be careful in our dealings with others, and that we may be able to just do the thing that would most please you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important to remember that our motivation for doing the right thing, it can be our blessing. I mean, it can be blessing others, but it really should be blessing God. If your motivation for doing the right thing and for not sinning is to bless God, then you've got the proper motivation. Of course, in the process, we're blessed, others are blessed, but that needs to be the focus. That needs to be the why we do what we do. But in chapter 18 of the book of Proverbs, we'll go through this and. Verse 1, again, this chapter dealing with how we deal with others, the care we need to take in dealing with others. Chapter 18, verse 1, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends, and he defies all sound judgment. That is, that is just a statement of truth. Someone who's unfriendly. Now, the idea behind unfriendly isn't just someone who doesn't like to make friends. It's someone that does things for themselves, a narcissist even, someone who's just you know, they're after, they're after their own end. They're only concerned with what they do so long as it benefits them. That, that's their focus. And notice they defy all sound judgment. They don't always do the right thing. And you'll, know, you'll learn that when you know somebody is unfriendly or, or selfish in their actions, they almost always don't do the smartest things or the wisest things uh, when they're making decisions or they're dealing with others. Now, in verse 2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. Now, this I I don't want to reverse this, but there are a lot of fools who like to tell you their opinion. Uh, Most of them, I think, are on cable network news. There's lots of people in the news in general, uh, network news as well, people telling you their opinion. You know, I don't really look to the news to give me opinion. I really want facts. But good luck with that. It's very hard to find these days. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding. A fool doesn't really want understanding or wisdom. They would rather just let everybody know how they feel and what they believe. And on Sunday, we talked about the difference between feeling and fact. And so when someone has a lot of opinions and they're so willing to share them, you can sort of reverse this and say, well, that would be a foolish person. And in verse 3, when wickedness comes, so does contempt. 
And with shame comes disgrace. So if you live a life of wickedness and shame, what happens is people have contempt for you. They don't like you. They, they despise you. And of course, you, are, you become a disgrace to your family and to others because of your wickedness. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now, this one takes a little thought. Because when we think of deep waters, that actually sounds better than a bubbling brook, right? And in some ways. But think about it. Deep waters. You don't know what's at the bottom of a deep pond or a deep lake or a deep ocean. Deep waters have something obscured at the bottom. You really can't see to the bottom. You don't know what's down there. Many people are afraid to swim in the ocean because, well, as of late, I mean, there's been so many shark attacks. And I'm not sure exactly why. I don't know if people have gotten tastier. Um, or if it's just that the water's warmer, <laughs> all I know is that lots of people are getting attacked by sharks. I'm not one of them. I haven't been to the beach, so uh, I, don't, I haven't been swimming in, in the ocean this year. So, I, But I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's kind of frightening. But when you're in a deep water, anything could be at the bottom of that lake. Anything could be at the bottom of that pond or of the ocean, and you wouldn't know unless the water was very, very clear. So think about it that way. The words of a man's mouth are, are obscured or are deep, in, not in a good way, but in a, in a way where you don't really know what's there. You don't know whether it matches the person's life. You don't know whether or not their, their words are, are, are really true. You can't really see to the bottom of them. But notice, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now, why is a bubbling brook better than deep waters? Uh, for one thing, oftentimes a bubbling brook comes from a mountain spring, cleaner water. You can see what it is. Uh, there's, there's not that obscurity. You're, you can really appreciate it for what it is. And so that's really the idea. The wisdom, a fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Better to go to the bubbling brook than the deep waters in this analogy. Uh, anyway, uh, so let's uh, continue. In verse 5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. I really wish someone would tell the Department of Justice and the FBI this proverb. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. Verse 6, a fool's lips bring him strife and his mouth invites a beating. Or if you're from Jersey, a beaten. I think in Brooklyn they probably say it that way too, right, Aunt? A beaten. What does that mean? It means that things that fools say, they bring arguments, they bring strife for their foolish speaking, and the things that come out of their mouth invite a beating, invite conflict. Foolish people say things that cause problems for themselves. Also, a fool's mouth, in verse 7, is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So think an undoing. What is an undoing? It kind of brings trouble into your life. The things that come out of a fool's mouth are what does him in. And the things that are on his lips, they're a snare to his soul. They, they actually are a trap. They trap him. Foolish people will say things, and then they can't get out of it, you know? I, one of the things that I read about that really troubled me is that apparently, you know, there's always a new scam. Every other day there's a new scam, right? So they've got this thing now where a machine calls you and some, something is recorded to say, well, are you there? And naturally your first reaction is to say yes, right? Yes, yes, or oh, I'm here, or yes. If you say yes, it gets recorded by this AI and then they use your voice saying yes 
to call certain accounts and take out loans and other things. Think about that. So just a little word to the wise. When you receive a call, don't say yes. (laughs) It's amazing that now we have to be careful about even that. Well, a fool is a person that the things that come out of their mouth are like that. They say things that are used against them. One of the things when you're Mirandized, you know, you read your rights. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. So why would you say too much? Say little. Remember what we said last week? Say less, like the shoe store, pay less. Say less, and you'll stay out of trouble. That's a common theme, I think, throughout the book of Proverbs. Okay, verse 8. The words of gossip, the words of a gossip, are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. The idea is when someone is sharing gossip, when they're spreading things, like whether it's true or it's lie, whatever, they're they're, they're gossiping, they're never going to say, oh, you don't want to hear what I have to say. It's always going to be dressed up with a little sugar on it. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be like, you know what happened? And naturally, it's designed to appeal to you. You know, have you ever gone to a bakery? If you're trying to lose weight, don't. You go to the bakery, if you notice, they don't hide the pastries in the back and tell you about them. They don't even just put pictures of them on a screen. They have a display case, right? And, and don't they look good? Those tasty morsels are there on display. Why? So you'll buy one and you'll eat one. That's the way gossip is. The words of a gossip are like, a, like choice, choice morsels. They're designed to be appetizing. So when a gossip comes up to you, hey, did you hear what Juan did? It's designed to be that way. They go down to a man's inmost parts. And so the idea is it's tasty, you desire it, you have an appetite for it, uh, but you don't want that in you. So my my encouragement to you, I have a good friend, Matt, who uh, used to be an anti-gossip. He used to, if you said something and it sounded like gossip, and he's from the South, he lives in Alabama now, but he's originally from Florida, he used to go, that sounds like gossip. He just used to say that, it sounds like gossip. And you'd be like, yeah, it probably is, forget I said anything. So become an anti-gossip. Verse 9, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Now, I like this. It basically means that someone who doesn't have a good work ethic is related to the person who actually goes out and destroys things. Why? Because the lazy person is destroying their lives through inactivity. The other person, the brother, well, he's the one that destroys things through activity, but they're equal. They're, they're, They're the same thing. If you do negative things or do nothing... It brings destruction into your life either way. I like this one. We used to sing a song that had these words. Verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, if you're like me, you might be into Lord of the Rings or medieval uh, stories or stories about castles. And you know that when people would seek shelter in a tower, it was because it was a safe place. You're higher up, right? Automatically, anything that has to reach you, like a spear or a missile um, or uh, arrows, they have to go against gravity. So you're that much safer. Plus, you're usually enclosed behind parapets or behind very small windows, so you're protected. That's the idea. Also, you're up high, so anything you throw, whether it be rocks or spears or arrows, is traveling faster because gravity is on your side. You have what they call the high ground. So a tower is very good in terms of protection alone. But then, 
It's very hard to scale the walls of a tower. It's very hard to, to, to siege a tower. The idea is it is really, truly a much safer place to be than on the ground. But the name of the Lord, the character of God, who God is, is a strong tower. Using that same analogy, and notice, what do the righteous do? They run into the tower and they're safe. You run to the Lord and he keeps you safe. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 11, the wealth of the rich is in their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Now, this is the idea of putting your trust in riches. And the rich people of the world do this. They put their trust in riches. And they, they, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. The idea is that is what protects them, or so they think. So they think. You guys may have lived through the 80s. We had some stock market crashes. I believe it was in 87, if that sounds right to me. Uh, October of 87, I think. Uh, there were other times in the 70s, but I remember that as an adult. I also remember 2008, when the bubble burst, right? And we've had other times in our nation's history where there have been difficult times with banks and the economy. But the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. This is what they run into and think they are safe. It's it's sort of a contrast to the previous uh, proverb. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Whereas the Lord is truly an unscalable wall. He will keep you safe. They imagine their riches are going to get them out of trouble. Now, how many times have we seen riches diminish because of a bank failure? Or like a Bear Stearns or, 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 or an Enron or WorldCom where this company just, that's it. They're just done. People have their money there, and, and then it's gone. So what's the lesson? Don't put your hope or your, or your uh, don't look for safety in riches. Look for it in the Lord. Before his downfall, verse 12, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. And then this is the idea of what we read in the New Testament. Uh, the Lord resists the proud, but exalts the humble. So better to be a, a humble person and be exalted and be honored in your humility and for your humility rather than to have a downfall as a proud person. And we've studied that before in Proverbs as well. Verse 13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Now, I've noticed something in the Northeast, in particular in New Jersey. We have a habit of talking a lot, and I'm as guilty of it as the next person. Now, granted, when I'm teaching, I'm teaching, still talking a lot, but I'm teaching. I'm not having a conversation. It's not a two-way conversation. It's more of a lecture. Okay, fine. But have you ever noticed when you have a conversation with someone, have you ever noticed that sometimes we're we're thinking about the next thing we want to say, and we're not really thinking about what's being said? Especially if you're having a debate or a conversation about something. You're just like, would you just shut up already so that I can speak? It's kind of that, that thing, you know? And you're not listening. And we've talked about this so much. And I'll tell you, I, I thought of this today. I was dealing with a situation in someone's life. And I realized, if people just listened, if they just listened, not just to God, but even to others that give wise counsel. Counselors and pastors will tell people, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, pastor, I did it. Oh, okay, you didn't listen. So I would just say, when you answer or you have something to say, or you think you know what someone's asking you or they're going to say, uh, before you've listened to what's being said, that is a foolish thing and it's a shameful behavior. Verse 14, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? 
This would compare like a physical illness to being depressed. And, and it's amazing because there are people that have had terrible injuries. Even recently in our fellowship, there's a couple that just had a really horrific injury and an accident. But you can have your spirits lifted in the midst of a terrible physical situation, whether it be illness or an accident. A, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness. You can be, your you, your spirits can be up. You can be a person with a good attitude, even when you're suffering. But notice, a crushed spirit who can bear. So you're depressed, you're, you're bummed out, you're anxious, you're, you're, you're brokenhearted. It's actually in many ways, at least psychologically and emotionally, it's harder to deal with that than it is with sickness. As bad as sickness can be. Verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. And that's just so true. Verse 16, a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. This is that idea of, you know, if you want an audience with someone, or if you want someone's help or encouragement or assistance in some way, well, giving them a gift or blessing them, it opens the way for the giver. It ushers him into the presence of the great. It gives you an opportunity to meet with someone. Now, this shouldn't be the case in church. (laughs) You shouldn't come to someone for spiritual help and they say, well, can I see your tithing receipts for this year? You would hope that that wouldn't be the case, right? You know, there are sometimes in churches where someone looks for help and they do that. They check, does this guy give? Does she give in the, to the church? It shouldn't be that way. shouldn't be that way. I've shared this with you before. I, I don't really look at all at what people in this church give. I have no idea. That way, there could be someone who's giving nothing and I give them hours of my time and there could be someone who gives a lot and I don't even know. Better to be that way than to have all that knowledge in your head because as a pastor, that would definitely sway me. Why? Because I'm a human being. If, if I knew, I mean, come on, if you knew that someone was, gave, like, let's say $40,000 to the ministry, let's just say someone did that, and they called you up, would you take their call? Would you drop everything? You probably would. Just, it's just human nature to, to cater to that, right? And then if you knew somebody was, like, actually just a draw on the ministry. You know, always looking for a handout. They never give, they never serve. And they call you, you might not take their call. So better to not know those things. But certainly a gift does open the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. So when you would come before a king or someone in authority, it was customary to bring a gift because you needed something from them, okay? That would grant you an audience with the king. Uh, Verse 17, the first to present his case seems right, Till another comes forward and questions him. That, that is so true. That's the old, there's two sides to every story, right? You hear the first person, you know what so-and-so, and they get to the end of their story, and you're ready to become their attorney. And then someone asks a few questions, or you hear the other side of the story, and then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. You didn't tell me that. That's why, you know what they say, there's, two, there's three sides to every story, right? This person's side, that person's side, and the truth. And you got to get to the truth because we're biased, right? We just are. But notice, I, I like that in court too. Have you ever served on a jury? You know, you'll hear the opening statement, right? I believe it's the prosecution, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that opens the, the, with their statement. And you hear the statement and you swear, oh yeah, oh no, I, I agree with him. And then the defense attorney gets up, presents their case, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. 
There's two sides to every story, at least, at least that. Probably a third, which is the truth. Uh, okay, we got 18, casting the lot, that is flipping a coin, rolling the dice, that, that is the idea of some, some random determination. Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. So when there's a situation to decide something randomly, no one can say, oh, that was unfair. Okay, it's the beginning of the football game. We're going to flip a coin to see who gets to choose whether they want to kick or receive. They flip the coin, and it's a 50-50 chance, right? I remember one of the first things I did as a computer programmer was wrote a program to statistically flip a coin. So we said, like, statistically speaking, 50 times out of 100, uh, it would be heads, and 50 times it would be tails. So I did that, and then I also wrote in one out of a thousand, it would land on its end. You know, that's just me. But anyway, so we wrote this program, and it was like the simulation of a random determination, and there are computer programs that can do that. They have a random uh, operator in their programming language. So the idea of just randomly determining something, it separates or keeps strong opponents apart. It keeps it keeps the conflict from happening, because if you make a decision, oh, you're only doing that because that's your brother. Yeah, you, you don't want to do that. Okay, so an offended, verse 19, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Now, a fortified city and the barred gates of a citadel have one thing in common. They're closed. This idea of being closed, emotionally, mentally, you are closed. You don't, you're not opening up. You're, you're done. You're not, you're not budging. You're, you're being obstinate. You're stubborn. Why are you that way? Because you've been offended. The offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes, which is a part of the offensive process, a dispute between two people. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. So how do you deal with that? The offended person is going to dig their heels in. And if you get into a dispute with someone, it's, it's not going to end. It's very hard to get people. I think about, uh, well, for example, the union disputes that are going on right now. I believe, I don't really read the news about this kind of stuff, but apparently the entertainment industry right now in California has some huge writer's strike. I, I, I don't really care, but, you know, I, they do. And so there's all this about the dispute between, I guess, the two different parties there. Uh, there's a couple other places. I think GM right now is looking at a possible strike between the workers and the management. And so uh, Sal and, and Frank know more about this stuff than I do. But anyway, all that to say that when you get into a dispute like that, many times people dig in their heels because they're offended. Oh, you kidding me? And, and now it's on principle they don't want to budge. So a negotiator has to get the people to the table to talk about what they can do. But you've got to get rid of the offense because the, the offense is, is an obstacle to negotiations. So one of the things any good negotiator will tell you is they'll get to the reason why the person is so adamant. Well, why are you so adamant about not budging on this issue? Well, the reason I can't budge on this issue is because he said, bop, bop. and then you get to what the real problem is. And this happens in marriages, too, when you go for marriage counseling. You know, sometimes you got to get to the what's really going on. And then once the offense is taken care of, then people become more reasonable and they're not described as a fortified city or the barred gates of a citadel. Okay, verse 20. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled, and with the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. What this is saying, very simply, is the things we say will either benefit us or take away from us. They will benefit us or cause problems for us. The things you say. 
Notice, your stomach being filled and, and being satisfied has to do with having enough, being prosperous, eating, you know, taking care of yourself. And in order to do that, you have to be successful and prosperous. Well, if you say the wrong things, you lose the job. You lose the account. You don't get the job. You get fired, you know. Um, so the harvest of the lips of a person who knows what to say, wise things, uh, is prosperity and blessing. And the fruit of his mouth is a full stomach. Okay? Just beautiful little phrases here. Verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Back to the same idea that the mouth can bring curses and blessings based on what comes out of that mouth, the words that are used. Now, one thing I like about this, it has the power of life and death. Now, James, of course, talked a lot about the power of the tongue and how it truly does have the power of life and death. If you say something to the wrong person in the wrong way, uh, you may suffer for it. You could be accused of slander. You could be brought up on charges, harassment, or you could just invite violence. We've seen that already in the Proverbs. You know, someone who has a perverse mouth oftentimes invites conflict and violence, as we've seen. So, blessing comes to the person that says the right things, wise things. Verse 22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, that's an interesting proverb because in the ancient world, finding a wife, well, you didn't go online. You know, you didn't have a dating app. Uh, the, the families sort of arranged those things in the ancient days. You know, I saw an article today. I couldn't resist at least looking at it. Apparently, it's probably just a person trying to get attention, but apparently there was this one uh, woman. She's a model, so I don't know why she had a hard time finding a husband, but in either case, who knows what the story is. She was in New York, and they took pictures of her holding up a sign looking for a husband, and it had her, like, Instagram hashtag or something like that. Probably, again, just looking for attention. But in either case, apparently she had gotten fed up with the dating apps, uh, so decided to do this. I don't know. But I do know this, that when God brings the right person into your life, husband or wife, it's from God. It's, from, it's a favor of, from the Lord, and, and especially as a Christian, there are too many people who are just willing to settle for anybody. You, know? you hold up a sign and somebody texts you, and you're like, good, I found somebody. Or you just, I, and I don't, I don't have these apps. I don't know anything about this stuff. I've been married 35 years. But apparently there are apps where you swipe, and depending on which direction you go, all kinds of things can happen depending on the app. I don't know anything about it. I just know that be careful with all of that stuff. All right? You just want to be careful. Uh, I do know, though, that when you find the right person, it's God's favor. And so you can't really make those things happen. You have to seek the Lord and his heart, and God has to bring that person into your life. What this proverb is, is saying, he who finds a wife finds what is good. Yes, it is good to be married. It is good to have a husband. It's good to have a, a wife. It's good to be in the relationship that God has for you. In the ancient world, husbands found wives. They were found by the families. And so it doesn't mention it the other way around, but it's still true. Verse 23, a poor man pleads for mercy, but a rich man answers harshly. Now, what does this mean? Well, when someone has money, they tend not to be too careful about the way they talk with, to people. In fact, have you noticed? Ever been in a situation, maybe at a store, and you're buying something, and someone comes in, and they have the really expensive bag, I don't know, like Gucci or Louis Vuitton or something, or, 
and they come in and they're buying very expensive things and you know sometimes they talk down to the salespeople. Have you noticed that? I've heard it. I've seen it. I don't shop very much in those kind of places, but I've seen people act that way. And it's like they're rich, so they feel that they can treat everybody that way. Like in a restaurant sometimes. People go into a restaurant, they treat the, the wait staff like garbage. Well, that sometimes happens when someone has money. Notice a rich person answers harshly. It's like, uh, excuse me, sir, what do you want? You know? But, but notice what it says about the poor man. He pleads for mercy. Even in a court of law, even in a situation where there's trouble, the rich man's figuring, well, nobody's going to bother me. I got money. But the poor man, he doesn't have any way to bribe anybody. He doesn't have any way to bring a gift or, or, or look for any favor. He pleads for mercy. So who behaves better? Think about it. Who, who, who has the better behavior? Who's actually more noble? The poor person. And so many times in society, rich people and successful people, especially in Europe with uh, blue bloods and stuff, they're held in high esteem. They're given more respect, and yet they behave less respectfully. You know? It's really kind of sad. We're, we're crazy in this world. The things we hold at a premium, how much money someone has, it doesn't mean they're a person of character. Not at all. In fact, quite often it's the exact opposite. Verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What this simply means is better to have one good friend you can rely on that have lots of acquaintances. Notice, a man of many companions may come to ruin. He gets into trouble, he has many companions or many people in his life, but when he really needs help, no one's there for him. But notice, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I think that definitely describes Jesus in our lives, but still, one good friend. You know, I've heard people say, I don't have any friends. I'm like, you have no friends? Well, I have one friend. Then you're a rich person. I mean, hopefully you have more than just one good friend, but if you have one person in this world, maybe it's just your spouse, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's one of your parents, maybe it's one of your children, but if you have one person in this world that you can truly say, I trust with my life, you're a rich person. If you have more than that, you're incredibly rich. If you have a lot of people in your life, but there's nobody that you really can rely on, this would apply to you. You may come to ruin, and most people wouldn't care. That's sad. Better to have a few good friends than many acquaintances. I guess that's another way of saying it. Okay, now that is chapter 18. And just to recap here, we were talking about the way you deal with others. And one of the things we saw in this chapter is learn to recognize a fool by his actions. One of the things you should get into the practice of doing, and not judging people in that sense, like judging them spiritually, but listen to people. And as you listen to them, you'll figure out this person is a little foolish. You let someone talk long enough, you'll figure out who they are. So learn to recognize a fool by his actions, by their words, and rely on the Lord and live righteously. Don't look to others. Rely on God. Seek to live at peace with those around you. Don't look to have problems with everyone and count your blessings. Count your many blessings, especially the blessings of friends and family. Okay, we get into chapter 19, and we see that we need to be careful to make good choices. I've said this to many young people. Michelle and I did a lot of young adults ministry going back 15 to 20 years ago. 15 to 25 years ago, actually. For those 10 years, we were doing mostly young adults ministry at that point in our lives. And one of the things I always used to say, and it was the most important lesson I could teach, make good choices. And I used to say to a 20-year-old, do you realize the choice you make affects more of your life than the choice I make? 
Because at the time, I was in my 40s, but I already got 40 years behind me. You've got much more time ahead of you if you're young. So when you're making choices, realize there's a lot more of your life that can be impacted by your choices. So make good ones. That's the point. Make good choices. So we'll see. We need to be careful to make good choices. All right, let's go through this. Chapter 19, verse 1. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. That comes alongside of what we talked about before. A fool who's saying crooked things and wicked things versus someone who's poor, but they're, they're poor, but their walk is blameless. You can't accuse them of anything. They haven't done anything wrong. Verse 2. It is not good to have zeal or passion without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Now, I've learned over time, because I was young once, and I was hasty, and I had a lot of zeal and enthusiasm, but I've learned not to mistake zeal for wisdom. Zeal, enthusiasm, passion, desire is, is good, for good things. It's good, but it's not the same thing as wisdom. It is not the same thing as having knowledge and experience. Would you agree? Young people have a lot of enthusiasm to do things, but older people may not have that same ardor or zeal for things, but they have a a tempered wisdom because they've been there. They've done that. They know what it is. They're not going to jump at the opportunity just yet because, you know what? Learned a few things in the last couple decades. So being hasty and being zealous Those things need to be avoided. You want to stay on the path. You don't want to miss the way, and and you certainly want to gain knowledge before you allow your passions to rule you, your zeal. Verse 3, a man's own folly or foolishness ruins his life. Now notice this. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. This is the typical case of the person that makes terrible decisions. They ruin their life, and then they blame God. Why did God do this to me? Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? How many times I've heard people talk like that? They, they make these terrible, terrible decisions. And then their life falls apart. God's out to get me. God hates me. Look what God has done to me. Their heart rages against the Lord. Really should just repent and realize and take responsibility for their own decisions. And, and ask God for forgiveness and restoration. Anyway, verse 4, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. Now, this isn't like an admirable truth, but it's still oftentimes true. Remember, these are generalizations. Wealth does bring many friends, but I think we would agree that the word qualified friend here just means a lot of people who want to know you, not necessarily the ones that stick closer to a brother or uh, as we talked, yeah, before in uh, verse 24 of the previous chapter, that's not the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And uh, you would think that a, uh, a brother would be as close as anyone in your life. But there are actually friends that are better than your own family, right? Well, look at this. It says, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. And this is because who, if the poor man is relying on somebody and that person's really kind of looking for what they can get, of course they're going to desert the poor man. There's nothing in it for them. So here the qualification of the word friend. It's not really what we call a fair-weather friend. Have you ever heard that term? Fair-weather friend. haven't heard that term in a while. So verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished. Oh, may that happen in our world today. 
those who are out there lying about everything. False witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. Oh, Lord, may that happen in our justice system today, right? Verse 6, many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Isn't that true? Oh, everyone wants to know who's in charge. They, they crave to be next to power, but everyone is the friend of a person who's out there handing out, not necessarily bribes, but certainly gifts. And a lot of our politicians are getting into trouble because they're getting caught. It's not that anything's new is happening. They're receiving gifts from people, and as they receive those gifts, it sways them the way we talked about before. They're influenced to pass laws and to do things that benefit the people that gave them those gifts. Campaign donations, free trips, (laughs) all of these types of things, cars, hotel stays, all the above. Verse 7. A poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. This idea is that poor people are oftentimes ignored, not taken seriously, not cared about, shunned, even by their families. Because people are wicked. And many times there's dysfunction in a family. This isn't always true, but generally it is. And how much more do his friends avoid? I mean, if the family's not there for him, his friends, once he becomes poor, because maybe he was rich, but now he's poor. Think about Job. Perfect example, right? Uh, Now the person's poor, and it's like, well, his family wants nothing to do with him. His friends, they were fair-weather friends. They're gone. And even though he asks them, begs them to help and to be there, they're nowhere to be found because people generally are either godly or ungodly. And many ungodly people have friendships and relationships with people for selfish reasons. It's kind of how we opened this study, if you remember, the unfriendly person. Uh, Verse 8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. So there's the counter. If you look for wisdom and understanding, you're going to be blessed. Verse 9, a false witness. By the way, a false witness isn't just someone who's in the courtroom. A false witness is anybody that testifies to something being true that they know isn't true. They willingly, knowingly either obscure the truth or lie. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish. So before we we learned that he wouldn't go free. So that would be like someone gets locked up for their lies, but here they're going to perish. That is, they actually, it's sort of like a death penalty, if you will. They they suffer, uh, their life is given up because of their lying. Uh, there are times when you can, even within our nation, you know, depending on what the lie was and to what degree it affected people, uh, you could perjure yourself, things can happen, you could be treasonous, and technically, I suppose, you could perish. And if you don't perish in the court of law, you can just perish because of your behavior. Oh, you know what I think about when I think about this? Oh, what was that guy's name? Oh, now the name is going to... I was right there. Don't get old. You know, one minute it's right there, and uh, I can't remember his name now. The guy with the Ponzi scheme in New York. Anyway, we don't need to remember his name. Madoff. Imagine that, a guy made off with their money, and his name was Madoff. Um, yeah, Madoff, right. Like, he went to prison, and he died. I think he died all alone in prison. I think that's what happened to him. Just, yeah, there you go. All right, and he was certainly a false witness. Verse 10, 
It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, how much worse for a slave to rule over princes. Now, what this is saying is, when you have somebody who is very foolish and they're living like a wise, prosperous person, it's not fitting, it's not appropriate, it's not right, and yet it happens, right? Unfortunately. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes? Now, the problem with a slave ruling over princes is, a person who once was in slavery oftentimes has the desire to get revenge. They also don't have the ability to rule, okay? Not, be, not because they couldn't have, but they haven't been trained. So a lot of times people who have been enslaved or people who don't really have the ability to lead others, when they're finally given a position of authority, they make terrible leaders. They make terrible leaders because they, quite frankly, do not have what it takes to rule. Verse 11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now, this is, this is something to aspire to. Wisdom gives you patience, patience in dealing with other people, right? That's what we're talking about, making choices. And it is a glory, that is, it is a blessed thing to overlook an offense. There are some people that are just too thin-skinned. They get offended way too easily. And, oh, I'm never going to forgive her because... But it's a glory to overlook offense. And some people say, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness, so I'm not going to forgive them. You know, I would suggest that as a Christian, you forgive them anyway. I mean, if Jesus could hang from the cross and say, Father, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. I think you can handle having been offended by someone and forgiving them. I didn't say you got to keep hanging out with them. I don't say you have to trust them. I don't say you have to have had a relationship with them. But can you forgive them? Can you forgive them? I hope so. Overlook the offense. Get over it. I like to say that. Verse 12, a king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. Now, a king was a person in authority. And if you make the king angry, like a lion, he has teeth. He has the power to punish you. But he also has the power to bless you, like the dew on the grass. And so that's just a, a truth. Verse 13, and we've seen a lot of this in the Proverbs thus far. A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. That is just so true. But I just want to say, we're not going to pick on women here. It's not about that. If someone's in your life that's foolish, okay, then it ruins, especially in the case of a father with a son. He looks to the son to carry on the family name, you know, and he's looking to that son to carry the legacy. But if you have a son who's a fool and does foolish things, It ruins a father's life. There's no way the father can feel proud and blessed when that son is continuing to be foolish. But a quarrelsome wife would be someone you're married to, and you can turn it around the other way, a quarrelsome husband, if you like. A quarrelsome spouse is is like a constant dripping. Why? Because you can't escape it. You know, you hear about these people that they get married and they live in different places. I don't know, there was somebody, I was, somebody, I can't remember who it is, um, but they actually lived in a house next to their spouse in separate houses. There's one of these people in Hollywood. Anyway, yeah, why? Because they don't want to fight. They want to have their own space. They want to have their own life. And they don't want the constant dripping or annoying or being nagged or bothered. And I think about that phrase in Spanish that's just so, so perfect. Déjame en paz. Like, leave me in peace. Like, just, it, there's something about Spanish phrases like that that just say it all. Leave me in peace. You know, just, and nobody wants, nobody, nobody wants to live like that. Nobody wants the constant dripping. Have you ever had a faucet that just drips, right? Um, I, I do plumbing. 
okay, do some plumbing at home. I'll help out other people with plumbing. And all it is is the cartridge inside the seal, it's usually the hot water, it just melts a little bit, it crimps, and so it, it starts to drip. Drip, 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 and it drives you crazy. What a perfect explanation of living with somebody who's annoying, right? We'll leave it at that. And again, not just women, okay? Women are not the only people that can be annoying. Verse 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, of course, right? But a prudent wife is from the Lord. This gets back to a wife, a a, a blessed wife. That comes from God. You can't inherit that. (laughs) That's a blessing from God. Here's a good one, verse 15. Laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless, now a shiftless person is a person without ambition. They have no ambition, right? And the shiftless man goes hungry. Of course he does. He has no ambition, and the laziness, they, all they can do is sleep. They don't work, and quite frankly, of course, that's just the truth. The Proverbs has a lot to say against laziness. Verse 16, he who obeys instructions guards his life, but he who is contemptuous of his ways will die. Now, you guys know I study martial arts, and I'll tell you what, everything we do is training, right? So there's a lot of instruction. You get a lot of instruction, the last three years, I've received so much in the way of instruction. And in our case, it actually does guard your life. Self-preservation. I mean, that's why you study karate, right? To preserve your life. You're, you're being defensive in those situations. You guard your life. I can tell you, if you don't listen and then not receive instruction, when you need to protect yourself, you can't because you haven't listened to instruction. So I can really apply that. But if you're contemptuous of your ways, you're going to die. And that will also happen if you're in a conflict, unfortunately, in today's world. So, yeah, this is true overall in many ways. And uh, you want to listen. You want to obey instructions. Verse 17, he who is kind to the poor lends to God and he will reward him for what he has done. I love this scripture. Every time you give to someone in need who's truly poor, right, they're lending to God. Now, think about it. When you lend to someone, generally, you lend to them. And that person is going to be ingratiated to you. They're, they're going to appreciate that. that you're, you're going to earn a favor. They're going to sort of owe you something. But if you do a formal loan, they're even going to pay you interest. Well, imagine this. You're lending to God when you give to the poor. What does that say? God is going to bless you. When you bless the poor, you're blessing God. God is going to return the favor toward you. The interest, if you will. The favor comes from God to you. He will reward him for what he has done. Verse 18, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. So, if you don't discipline your children, and they get into trouble, and God forbid something happens to them, the parent's responsibility is to discipline them as a child, so that when they become older, they don't do stupid things. There are many parents that don't discipline their children, and then their children grow up and do stupid things. And that is on the parents because they didn't discipline them. That is. But you still can't control what someone does once they make their own choices. Still, notice, do not be a willing party to his death. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. He may still choose death, but you will not have been complicit in their choice. Verse 19, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Now, this is so true because a hot-tempered man is the kind of guy that gets locked up for a bar fight. 
or gets into trouble and, you, and someone has to intervene and they're holding him back. It was a hot-tempered man. His friends are holding him back. Do it once, you're going to have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it because a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. He has to suffer the consequences of his behavior. And if you keep rescuing someone like this with a temper, if you run interference for someone like this, you're going to just have to keep on doing it and doing it and doing it. You become the enabler. and You don't want to do that. Verse 20, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. That's just a summary of everything we've talked about. Verse 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, this is so good. You can choose to believe you could do anything. You could try to do anything. You could plan to do everything. But at the end of the day, God's purpose prevails. Amen? It's kind of like that proverb we saw last week in chapter 16. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Verse 9. Verse 22. What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. Now, I looked into this proverb and I understand how they came to that literal rendering of a man desires his unfailing love. But actually, in your, in your margins, or some of your translations may have a better translation. A better way to interpret that in verse 22 is what a man uh, desires, is, it has to do with greed. It has to do with greed. A man's greed is his shame, would be a better way to translate that. So when it says, a man, what a man desires is unfailing love, what it's really saying is he desires what he wants at all costs. So I could see why literally it says that, but it doesn't really convey the appropriate thought. It has more to do with greedy desires. So uh, a man's greed is his shame. What he desires is shameful, right? So it's better to be poor than a liar because a person who desires to be rich will say anything or do anything to become rich. But it's better to be poor than a liar. And that makes much more sense. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Again, generalization, but it's still true. Fear God, that brings wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And, you know, then you can rest content. And, and being content, I mean, that, that's kind of how you say it in Spanish, right? Estoy contento. I'm, I'm content. We don't even say happy in Spanish. It's just content. Things are good. That's what you're hoping for in life, untouched by trouble. Verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now, this is an exaggeration, but it makes its point. This guy is so lazy. How lazy is he? Remember that? This guy is so lazy. How lazy is he? That he puts his hand in the dish, and he's so lazy, he can't even take what he grabbed in the dish and bring it to his mouth. That's lazy. That's the point. (laughs) It's designed to make the point. That's how lazy, lazy people can be. Verse 25, flog a mocker and the simple will learn prudence, rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. Now, this is two ways of dealing with with two different situations. A mocker is somebody who clearly is a fool, right? And they're simple. And they're going to learn prudence through getting a beating. But all you have to do to the discerning wise person is correct them. A word to the wise is sufficient. Rebuke a discerning man and he will gain knowledge. We're almost there. Verse 26. He who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings shame and disgrace. Listen, listen, listen. There are people that take from their parents and people who take their inheritance early and, and take, uh, take their parents and throw them into homes. You know, and notice it describes this here. It's a son who brings shame and disgrace. Taking from your parents when your parents need your help. Verse 27, stop listening to instruction, my son, 
and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So we're back to the listen, receive instruction. Repetition is a great form of teaching, right? Verse 28, a corrupt witness mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. This is the kind of people we deal with in society today. They mock justice. They mock. It says a corrupt witness mocks at justice. And you see so many people today, because they, they, they hate one person or support another, they're willing to gulp down evil. They're, they're willing to, to allow evil to continue just to protect their own political means and ends. Finally, verse 29, penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs of fools. So penalties, that is consequences, beatings for the backs of fools, that's the teachers that only foolish people can receive. Wise people, though, we've seen this evening, can receive instruction from teaching and rebuke and correction. So be the kind of person that's easily taught. Be teachable and reachable, and you won't have to worry about getting a beaten. (laughs) So our wisdom or foolishness does affect our lives and the lives of those that love us. Our wealth or our poverty affects how others relate to us. We've seen this in chapter 19. Our honesty or dishonesty affects how others treat us as well. And our diligence or our slothfulness or our laziness affects our prosperity in this life, just like our generosity or our stinginess affects our prosperity in this life. And all of that we learn in summary in chapter 19. whole lot of wisdom this evening. Uh, We are continuing to go through this book now. We are heading into chapter 20 then, I guess, and uh, we'll continue probably taking about two chapters each time we get together. And uh, it's only 31, so we're almost there. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom that you give us. Thank you for your word and the ability to absorb this through the power of your spirit to apply it. We pray that even this week we would put some of these principles into practice and that we would be blessed for heeding your instruction and following your discipline. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.